Hello and welcome to Legendary Africa, the podcast where a disembodied voice speaks about African myths, legends, and folklore straight into your ear canal. So, Squad and I are currently walking through your memory banks, or as I like to call them, your archives. <laughs> and boy, do you have a lot. Happy, sad, exciting, conflicted, bizarre, and just well-loved memories. I think there's really a lot to treasure in our lives, and our memories of our loved ones and our experiences is something we need to treasure the most. On this mushy note, Squirt has a little cold. The poor baby. I suppose you have a kitchen somewhere in your memory bank, do you? Squirt could do with some nice chicken soup. Uh-oh. Sounds like Mulan and her cowboys are catching up. We gotta scram. Come on, Squirty. <laughs> Guys, I cannot believe that it's November already. Time is flying and the days are blurring into one. I'm going to shut my eyes for a second and boom, suddenly, it'll be Christmas. As it is, the shops are already all set up for Christmas. They have the trees out with colourful baubles and Christmas crackers. There is something quite magical about seeing Christmas deco out, and I always feel a little like Robota into Narnia or something when I walk past a Christmas tree. This Christmas is going to be difficult for everyone, I think, since 2020 has been the worst to everybody. It's going to be difficult for us personally as a family, but I do believe that we'll get through it together. I also wanted to quickly talk about why I took a break last week and didn't release an episode. Everyone was really supportive when I announced that I was taking a break, and I truly appreciate it. But for those who didn't quite understand, I took a break firstly because my sister was coming down to spend the weekend with us, and I didn't want to be worrying about writing, recording, and editing an episode in between the visit. After Rashali passed away, family time has become more important than ever. I also didn't want that extra stress on me for that week and decided that for my own health it was better that I took a break. I meant to use the break as well to get my website and YouTube updated, but honestly that didn't happen. I just caught up on some sleep and tried to start some self-care routines. I've been trying to exercise every week and meditate fairly often. I had a good start, but right now I'm falling behind again. I will get everything updated soon though, I promise. I'm also working on some other exciting projects which I hope to share with you all very soon. Alright, enough about me. Let's get into today's myth. Pharaoh Ramsinitis and his treasure, our very first folktale from Egypt. Now since Egypt is probably the most famous country in Africa, I don't really want to go into the history of the country, not to mention that this history probably needs about three episodes to get through. Instead, I would like to talk about some interesting and bizarre facts about Egypt. Did you know that the Egyptians invented the 365-day calendar we all use today? There's an entire myth behind this as well, but I'll leave that for another episode. The Pyramid of Khufu at Giza weighs as much as 16 Empire State buildings. 16! That's heavy, bro. Makeup in ancient Egypt was used by both men and women, and they used copper and lead to produce green and black makeup. Not only was it supposed to protect them from the sun, but the ancient Egyptians believed that it would also produce magical healing powers. So like, get your makeup on guys. And lastly, did you know that the ancient Egyptians invented toothpaste? That's right. A 1,500 year old recipe found on papyrus dating from around the 14th century AD claims to make a powder for white and perfect teeth that transforms into a clean 
toothpaste when placed inside your mouth. The recipe calls for one drachma, a one hundredth of an ounce, of rock salt, one drachma of mint, and one drachma of the dried iris flower, all mixed with around 20 grains of pepper. Now, when modern researchers tested the recipe, they found that it produced what they called a pungent-smelling paste, which initially bled the researchers' gums, but which was more effective than many 19th century or early 20th century toothpaste products. Um, I'm in no way endorsing the uh, use of such a recipe, although <laughs> if you do try it out, email me and let me know how it went. So those are my few bizarre facts about Egypt. Our story is a tale which was related to the Greek historian Herodotus by an Egyptian priest. The tale involves a mighty pharaoh, a great deal of precious treasure, a reluctant murder, and a helpful hand. I'm sure you're wondering if I meant to say a helping hand, but no, I meant to say a helpful hand. You'll get it soon. Ancient Egypt, the Old Kingdom. The reign of Pharaoh Ramsonitis was mighty and good, or so the Pharaoh claimed, and he had built many grand structures to the gods. But the most important structure which he had built was a large stone chamber beside his own palace. Pharaoh was very proud of his grand treasure chamber, but what he didn't know was that one of the builders had secretly altered the building plan. He had constructed a stone block in the structure, which could be removed from the outside. However, this very same boulder soon fell ill after the construction of the building, and, before passing on, told his two sons about his secret. He told them where to find the stone and the measurements they would need. Soon the father passed away, and the two sons were left to grieve together in their small house. Their mother wept day and night, and her wails eventually woke the sons from their own grief. We must fetch father's treasure, said the one brother to the other. But it is in the pharaoh's chamber, the other brother objected, his face pale and drawn tight with sadness. His older brother scoffed. It is our father who toiled day and night to build that chamber, and it is our father who fell ill because of that chamber, and our father who died with no rewards for his hard labor. So we, as his sons, are owed a small part of the great pharaoh's treasure, the brother concluded. The younger brother, who was initially reluctant, was now nodding eagerly. You are right, my brother. Let us go and take our father's legacy. It will bring joy to mother to see it. The brothers held each other's arms fondly before preparing two sacks and waiting for the dark of night to fall. Soon the crescent moon was high in the sky, and the air thick but silent. The two brothers silently journeyed to the treasure chamber, and, creeping past the guards stationed at the entrances of the chamber, followed their father's instructions and found the special stone block. They removed it, crept into the chamber, and filled their sacks with the treasure before replacing the stone and fleeing quietly home. The next day, the pharaoh discovered that some of his treasure was missing, and stood baffled with his guards inside the chamber. How could this have happened? he mused. The doors were still sealed shut, and the guards had seen nothing. It's as if the treasure had simply vanished, and it would have remained a puzzle had the brothers not gotten greedy. The brothers returned again to this chamber, and still more treasure. Then again, and again and again, until the treasure in the chamber had reduced significantly. 
Finally, the pharaoh, frustrated and fed up, ordered for traps to be laid within the chamber. Since you lot are so very useless, we can only hope that these traps will catch the thieves, the pharaoh said as he stared at these guards in disdain. The brothers returned that night, and, as usual, removed the stone from the chamber. The older brother crept in and started towards the treasure, but soon found himself caught in the trap. Unknown to his younger brother, he stayed there for some minutes, his mind going over all his options, until he arrived at the only option he had. He must die. Meanwhile, the younger brother was waiting outside in the cool night air, keeping an eye out for the guards. Suddenly, he heard the voice of his brother softly calling from within the chamber. Brother! Brother! Instantly, he entered the chamber and soon found his brother trapped. No! he shouted and rushed forward. But his brother put out his hand, palm facing towards him, silently imploring him to stop. And he obeyed. His older brother gazed sadly at him. My brother, I cannot escape from this trap and I have thought over all my options. There is only one option. No, let me finish. I must die. Don't object, he harshly whispered, as he saw his younger brother open his mouth to protest. His eyes softened. My brother, I cannot escape, of that I am sure. But you can, and you must. If they find us both here, we will both die, and then what use is our father's legacy to our mother? No, take the treasure we have and leave now. But before you go, you must do one last thing. And what I ask makes me hate myself. The younger brother told his brother that he would do anything his brother wanted. The older brother looked away and said, You must cut off my head, little brother, so that the guards do not know who I am and cannot find you. The younger brother paled. But he had promised his brother that he would obey him. And so, praying to the guards for strength, he lifted his sword looked his brother in the eyes one last time, and brought the sword down. The next morning, the pharaoh stood in shock and disgust as he stared down at the headless body lying in his treasure chamber. The body was caught in the trap, but where in the name of Ra Atum was the head? And how had it entered the chamber in the first place? Then a cunning plan came into the pharaoh's mind. He ordered his useless guards to hang the body from the palace wall. Anyone who cared for the thief would come to mourn, and then they would catch the culprit. For days no one came, and meanwhile the son's mother wept not only for her husband, but now for her son too. Soon her grief turned to anger, and she turned it towards her remaining son, demanding that if he did not retrieve his brother's body, she would go herself to the pharaoh and reveal the crimes of her sons. Her son tried to protest, but eventually agreed, and set to devising a plan to retrieve his brother. Soon he was driving a donkey-driven wagon, filled completely with flasks of wine. As he drew near to the palace gates, he removed the stoppers of some of the flasks. As the wheels of the wagon jostled over the uneven road, some of the flasks shifted, and soon wine was flowing onto the ground. The brother began to cry out, and held his head in mock agony at the loss of his wine. The palace guards, ignoring the upset man, ran forward and began grabbing the flasks for themselves. He pretended to be angry at the men, but they soon began apologizing, and so he pretended to joke with them as he secured the stoppers once more. Have a few drinks on me, then. You are both great men who work so hard for so little. The men cheered and drank, and drank some more. 
and even more, until they were pushed out next to the wagon. The brother waited until he heard soft snores emanating from the guards, before climbing up and carefully taking his brother down from the wall. He laid him down across the donkeys and drove carefully away, pausing only once in his escape to cheekily shave the one side off the guards' faces. His mother greeted him happily and was finally able to wash her son's body and grieve fully. The next morning, the pharaoh was about ready to decapitate all his guards himself. Fuming, he demanded a description of the robber from his guards, but they sheepishly admitted that they were too drunk to remember what he looked like. The pharaoh made several small choking gestures with his hands, but turned and left before he did anything rash. There was only one thing to do. He left to find the only other intelligent person in his palace. His daughter. Happy to help her father and curious about the thief, his daughter left the palace for the marketplace. Hoping to find out where the thief lived, she wandered through the busy marketplace past women selling fine carpets, men selling fresh fish, or at least they claimed that it was fresh, and avoided little boys who tried to steal her fine bracelets from beneath her sleeves. She spoke to several men and asked around for the thief. Eventually she found him, but only because he had left his house and come out to the market looking for her. The brother had heard that the princess was looking for him, and decided to meet with her, a cunning plan forming in his mind. And so when they met, the princess asked him, What is the most wicked thing you have ever done? And what is the most skillful thing you have ever done? And the brother smiled slyly and answered, The most wicked thing I have ever done is to cut off my own brother's head when he was trapped in the royal treasure chamber. And the most skillful thing I have ever done is to trick the royal guards and steal my brother's body back. The princess gasped and grabbed his arm fiercely, intending to hold him there until the royal guard stormed in. But the brother was too clever. At the last minute, he pulled out his dead brother's arm, and the princess grabbed that instead. Then he made a quick escape. The princess was shocked and impressed. And when she told the pharaoh about this thief, the pharaoh himself was impressed, as he had found a man as clever as his daughter. So he issued a full pardon for the brother and offered a substantial reward and upon meeting him was further impressed by his manners, intellect, and skill, so much so that he offered his daughter's hand in marriage to the bolder son. His daughter was pleased that she had been curious about the artful thief, and was happy to find someone who could equal her intellect. And so, the story of the treasure of Pharaoh Rhapsonitis travelled far and wide, and everyone soon knew how clever and skilful the Egyptian people were. Okay, okay, just wait, just, I have questions. Firstly, why didn't the pharaoh just order his guards to patrol around the treasure chamber instead of simply standing at the entrances? I mean, sure, the guards are kind of dumb, but his instructions were also kind of dumb. And secondly, the brother was just carrying around his dead brother's disembodied arm, just in case the princess tried to grab him. I mean, am I the only one who thinks this is both gross and odd? And one more thing, the pharaoh married his daughter to the brother. So does that mean all the treasure the brother stole is back in the chamber? And did he tell the pharaoh about the special block that can be taken out from the outside? And what did the mother think about all this? Okay, I know those like three more questions, but I need answers, people. In any case, it's a great Egyptian tale, and typical of the ancient Egyptians to leave us with more questions than answers. 
My main sources for this story realmofhistory.com, the Mythology and Folklore UN textbook, which has been taken from the book called Egyptian Myth and Legend by Donald Mackenzie, which is published in 1907. Now I want to end off this Egyptian tale with some bizarre facts about mummies. Number 1. The bandages of an ancient Egyptian mummy, when unwrapped, can stretch for 1.6 kilometers. Factoid number 2. Mummy flesh was believed to have healing properties, and in medieval Europe was a popular medical remedy. For more on this, see Dr. Richard Sugg's book, Mummies, Cannibals and Vampires, The History of Corpse Medicine from the Middle Ages to the Fallen Gong. It's very interesting. Factoid number 3. During mummification, onions were sometimes used to fill in cavities such as eye sockets. I know. Disgusting. I mean onions. Onions are the worst vegetable. And now it's time for an all new segment called Highlights of Africa, a segment where I talk about some amazing and inspirational things happening in Africa. Today's highlight is about an initiative called the Sokhulu Muscle Project, a project which began in the early 2000s. Along the KwaZulu-Natal north coast, rich mussel sources can be found. However, prior to 1996, laws were in place which prohibited the harvesting of these mussels as they were not deemed to be subsistence food. Yet the people of Sokhulu, a community which lived in poverty along the coast, relied on these mussels as a source of protein which prevented complete starvation. During this time, these people would secretly harvest the mussels hastily scraping at the rocks, and in their rush to gather the mussels quickly and avoid the police, they would unknowingly remove other marine life and damage the marine ecology in the process. This would often be done by the women of the Sakulu community, who would scoop mussels into their skirts until it was full. It was also dangerous work, and often elderly women gathering these mussels would be swept into the sharp rocks by large waves. This harvesting led to frequent clashes between the Sakulu community and the police, leading to arrests of women who were often mothers and grandmothers. That's when the Sokulu Muscle Project came into play. Regional marine ecologist Jean Harris, who worked with the KwaZulu-Natal Wildlife Organization, negotiated a truce and deal between the Sokulu community and the authorities. She worked towards a project which allowed these women to provide food for their families, while at the same time nurtured the marine environment. By splitting the coast into various harvesting zones, the Sokulu harvesters were allowed to remove a certain amount of mussels from each zone per day, and were restricted to the size of mussels they could take. This obviously came with its own problems, such as insufficient harvest for the survival of the community, resentment and animosity between the harvesters and the officials, and the fact that the female harvesters were initially reluctant to voice their opinions due to decades of oppression. But eventually, the project succeeded through a blend of traditional knowledge and scientific study, and now the harvesters themselves explain to others the importance of gathering the mussels with care for the good of both the community and the environment. It's truly amazing what can be achieved by working together and how people can help both humanity and the environment. My main sources for this highlight were two articles from the Mail and Guardian entitled The Coastal Gatherers and Making the Most of Marine Resources. My promo for today's episode is again a little different. 
I would like to tell you guys a little bit about what the partnership between the Our General Podcast, a South African mother-daughter duo podcast hosted by Malakhadi and her daughter Nail, and the Mina Cup Foundation, an organization attempting to empower the millions of underprivileged girls in South Africa and throughout the world through the use of the Mina Cup, a menstrual cup which is safe, cost-effective, eco-friendly, and will allow girls to stay in school during their period. Many girls in South Africa and across the world miss school during their periods because they do not have the money to buy enough pads or tampons. The Mina Cup is washable, hygienic, and can be used for up to five years, so schoolgirls can stay in school without worrying about buying pads or tampons. Now, our journal podcast has started a fundraiser with Mina Cups to raise enough funds to distribute Mina Cups to school. The link will be in the show notes. Please go check them out and donate if you can. Otherwise, share as much as possible to help children stay in school. I also have a podcast recommendation for you, this time an audio fiction recommendation. It's called Ithurin Dark Saga, a dark fantasy audio fiction by P.D. Usher. Ithurin Dark Saga is a rich audio fiction which I thoroughly enjoyed listening to. The rich world is ready both in the prologue, and the excellent choice of music and the use of sound effects is incredibly immersive, and really grips your attention throughout the entire episode. Maybe a bit too dark and graphic for some, but I think it's perfect and brilliantly written. If you like fantasy, rich world building, and audio fictions in general, try out Ithurin Dark Saga. Lovers of lore will definitely enjoy this. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. In case you missed the news in the Halloween episode, my dad, Woody Puther, has recently published his book, Mythic Tales Retold, a book written in a limerick-like style retelling myths of old, such as myths about Zeus, Atlas, Prometheus, Vishnu, Mahale, Loki, Pharaoh from African myth, and so many more amazing gods. It's available to buy on Rakuten Kobo as an ebook, and hopefully we can share more exciting news soon about where else it'll be available. I would like to ask you all to share and support his book by following him on social media, visiting his website, and of course, buying his book if you are able. Please visit the Kobo site to check it out, and remember to leave a review if you do read and enjoy it. I'm leaving all relevant links in the description below, and I will also be posting them on my social media. My dad also recently appeared on Siobhan Clark's podcast, The Myth, Legend, and Law podcast, for a Gathering of the Skulls episode in which he read out a chapter called Chaos and Gaia from his book. It was such an honor, and we were all incredibly delighted when Siobhan invited my dad onto a podcast. And a big thank you again to the amazing host of The Myth, Legend, and Law podcast for featuring his book. The link to the episode can be found in the show description as well. Other than that, I have been your host, the Shira, the disembodied voice you can't escape. And Legendary Africa is produced by the infamous Hestia the Dog, and we have an unpaid intern, as you know, Athena the Doggo. Thank you for listening and joining me today. Remember to subscribe to Legendary Africa wherever you listen. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever. And to share with your friends, family, assorted pets, and any of your local flora and fauna, including those mussels. If you like what you hear and want to share that love, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or anywhere else you can leave comments. I will be, hopefully, <laughs> updating the YouTube channel and website in the next coming days, so please do check that out as well. Updates will be broadcast on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find the pod on Instagram at LegendaryPod and on Twitter at LegendaryPod1. And pop me an email to staylegendarypod at gmail.com. I welcome all myth ideas, prompts, favorite recipes, and pictures of your doggos, cats, and reptiles, except snakes. And please, no birds or arachnids, as they are, in fact, devil's spawn. Disclaimer, I am in no way genuinely stating that birds and arachnids are creations of Satan or any other malicious entity, fictional or not, and strongly condemn any exorcisms undertaken against these creatures. Please, 
Do not harm birds, arachnids, or any other living creatures intentionally. Unless you're talking about pests and vermin, because there are way too many of them, and they carry diseases, and... Okay, you got what I meant, right? It was a joke. I'll see you next Saturday with an all-new ancient myth, legend, or tale from our beautiful continent of Africa. Until then, tell your loved ones you love them, thank the angel on your shoulder, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye!